Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well, we, uh, we have been focusing on, on the church and living life out, and uh, we finished just a bit ago uh, a series on the Gospel of Mark and his message to us about who Jesus is, and, and, and part of moving on from there is, is living this out, living out life as it is, and, and, and part of that is continuing to, to bring the message, uh, but sometimes, sometimes the message gets a little bit mixed up because Sometimes we figure, I got the answer for this, and, and I got it covered. Uh, sometimes we come up with pithy little sayings that, that help us to, to, to put things in order. Well, for example, there was, there was Barb and her husband, Chuck. They were youth leaders, and they had just arrived at the campground for a week with the young people's group. So Chuck is unloading the van and getting everything put away, and Barb is handing out the room assignments. And on the bulletin board in the lobby, there was this main lodge. It was a poster declaring this was kind of their big ethos thing. It says, there are no problems, only opportunities. Right, so, again, you've seen this come up. The people will come up and say, i got a problem. It's like, what's this problem? No, there's no problems. There's, it's an opportunity for you to grow or something else to happen. So, well, a boy named Jeff comes up to Barb and says, uh, Barb, i got a problem. And uh, Barb is like, all right, Jeff, look at the sign. There are no problems, only opportunities. And Jeff's like, well, if that's the way you want it, but there's a girl assigned to my room. (laughs) Maybe at this point, her little snappy little cliche thing was not quite appropriate for the circumstances. Sometimes we think, this will cover everything. Sometimes one answer doesn't cover everything. And, and it might have been good for Barb to take a listen and say, Jeff, what's, what's going on? Because, you know, we try looking uh, for ways to figure things out here, but she just said, there's just opportunities. And, well, probably, again, not the, the most appropriate thing there. In our life, in our faith, sometimes, sometimes we, again, we think, I got this figured out. I've got it all covered. I, I, got, I got one answer to fit everything. But sometimes as we're living this out and talking about what our faith is all about, we're going to encounter different people. And, and, and just one way of talking about our faith and what it means to us, well, it's not going to work because the words that we use or the, the, the place that they come from is entirely different. Uh, we're going to look at a text today uh, with the Apostle Paul and how he responds to different situations, talking about this great news that he's come to, about Jesus, the Son of God. How for him it was a transforming thing where he had been against the church and been against Jesus because he thought it was, it, was a, it was opposed to God. And God sends him a direct signal. He has this, this, this vision and 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 supernaturally, God speaks to him and says, What are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And who are you, Lord? He asks. 
He says, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. And, 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 and his life takes a turn. And so he begins talking to people about Jesus. Here's a man learned well in, in the Old Testament scriptures, immensely prepared to be able to talk and bring together once he gets the picture of who Jesus is, how he fulfills the prophecies that have been talked about in the Hebrew scriptures. He, he is finely tuned to be able to bring this message, and in particular, his assignment to bring it to, to eventually to the Gentiles. But sometimes even he has to, to find different ways to, to bring it. We're going to look at Acts chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. In the, in the book of Acts, we have the movement and the work of the church growing and developing and, and moving from town to town. And, and Paul and Silas and Luke have been traveling about and, and telling people about who Jesus is. And in chapter 17, they come to a couple different towns. And we're going to look at three cities and, and well, three stories of outreach and uh, Chapter 17, uh, starting in verse 1. When they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Christ, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some others, brothers, before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. So, first city, first story. It is Thessalonica, and in Thessalonica, they come, and, and we learn Paul had a, a, a custom. That custom was to go to the local Jewish synagogue, the, the gathering place where the Jews would come to worship God. They would talk about the scriptures, and, and his custom was to go there. It says he went there on three consecutive Sabbaths, the, the days that they would come to, to worship the Lord, and, and began to reason with them through the scriptures. He would bring out the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and, and talk about the, the things that they understood about Messiah and then explain this Jesus. He is the Messiah, this one that we've been looking for. Going into the synagogue was a place that would have been familiar with the scriptures. And so he used the scriptures and the descriptions of the prophets to, to talk with them and, and demonstrate this is what Jesus is all about. And... It says that there were some Jews that believed this and, and, uh, and, and several Greeks who were apparently God-fearing people who were coming and, and connected themselves with the synagogue. They came to faith in Jesus. But well, then we see that some problems arise as well, that uh, some of the Jews were jealous about this. They didn't like this new teaching. They didn't like this going on. And so they rounded up some people and, and caused a riot and accused uh, Paul and, and, and the others, and including Jason, who was one of the hosts, 
of doing things that were, were going against the kingdom, making up uh, things that were threatening the local authorities as well as the emperor. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy, they take off and they leave. Um, but that's Thessalonica. His terms of outreach, basic Jewish theology and scriptures and, and reasoning with them, the stuff that they knew about and they could access. Well, they move on to Berea. It says in verse 10, As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Okay, um, city number two, similar pattern. Starts off with the synagogue and, and doing the same things, but we get a very different response from the people, it seems like. Uh, in Thessalonica, there was all kinds of opposition and there was jealousy going on, but something about the Bereans, there is just something different about them and how they approach this. And, and as they listened to, to Paul's words about what Jesus was all about and as he talked about the, the prophets and the, the things that God had said the Messiah would do, they, they said, that's very interesting. And, and they went to the scriptures and searched it for themselves to see if it was true. So the scripture says that uh, they are of more noble character because they, they took a look at this. They, they listened to his words and, and they said, is this really true? Is this what it says? And, and were able to take Paul's words and, and the references he made to the different parts of scripture and, and check them out. Um, so similar message, similar style, kind of a different reaction and sometimes when when we when we speak about our faith when we talk with others about who God is in our lives we get a variety of responses from people in some places people are very interested other people like man don't bother me with that and and other places yet might even be very agitated annoyed or even angry about you sharing or or interjecting that the same message can have different responses, even with a, a very similar background to them. Sometimes we don't know how the message is going out, and, and very often we're just reliant and dependent upon the Spirit to do His work in their midst. But again, very similar situations and very different reactions here. Well, but then the Thessalonians, they, they discover them and they agitate the people, and, and so Paul is is brought to the coast, and he's, he's sent to Athens, uh, that great city, the, the place where philosophy and discussions and all kinds of things have happened. And Paul is there alone by, by himself now. Verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, 
What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So Paul gets to Athens. And, and Athens, uh, again, a great center of culture and, and learning and philosophy in, in Greek culture. It is the place where Socrates had been and where he had taught and, and was noted for that. There are many places in, to worship there, many temples and and, and statues and different idols were placed around there. Uh, it is said of Socrates that, that he was accused and eventually killed because of two things that he did. One was he was corrupting the youth, and the other charge was that he was, he was introducing foreign gods or deities within the culture. And within Athens and within Athenian culture, this was a no-no. This is something that you, if you were going to bring something like that into the culture, it had to be approved. You couldn't just begin talking about foreign deities. And so when they invite him to the Areopagus to speak, it is more of a, you you need to explain yourselves because it sounds like you're advocating foreign deities and you've not gotten approval for this. And again, the potential sentence for this is death. And and so his defense is going to, well, it's going to come before these people as they're looking at him and listening to him. He's been talking about Jesus, and he's talking about the resurrection, and these were new things for them. And so Paul, 
now is in a very different circumstance and situation than he was in Thessalonica and Berea. And he's got people listening to him. He's given an opportunity to present what he believes and, and what he's talking about. But as he begins this, he, he doesn't begin citing Hebrew scriptures, which would certainly have been foreign to them. Uh, he begins talking about, well, things that he noticed as he was walking around, these things that were disturbing him, this contemporary culture of, of, of idolatry that was, was, was so prevalent there. And he, and he lights into one in particular. He says, you have this one God. It's dedicated to the unknown God. And he uses that as his springboard into talking about God. And he takes that particular statue and uses it to launch into, let me tell you about God. Because this unknown God He's the one who has made all things. He's made heaven and earth. He created mankind from one and given life and breath and everything else to them. This is who this God is. Because he doesn't live in temples. He, doesn't, he isn't served by man. And, and as he does this, he's, he's using very different terms than he used in Thessalonica and in the synagogue but explaining who God is and what he's about in ways that they can understand. And as he does this, he, he mentions, it mentions that he's been talking with Epicureans and Stoics. Epicureans and Stoicism uh, were two different philosophies that, that existed during that time. And the Epicureans, uh, at its core, their focus was, 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 was peace and tranquility and, and pleasure that life was all about finding and discovering those things, that, that the spiritual, if it was there, was unattainable. All we could do was just this. And so doing things that please you and give you peace and tranquility, that's what life is all about. The Stoics, on the other hand, well, the mind was, was the thing that they appreciated most, and reason and ration, and, and so being able to find logic in how things work together, this, this was the thing that they promoted the most, and, and that was their understanding of how the world was best lived. And, and so, so spirituality, that, that, that may have something to do, but it has to fit in some kind of reason. It, it's what we can figure out and attain. And, and, and as Paul begins his discussion about this unknown God, he's finding points of comparison and agreement with each of the different philosophies that are there. Uh, in some sense, making connections with the th concepts that they're familiar with, but also making the indication this is not foreign, this is not a death penalty thing, because this is stuff that you know you've got this unknown God. This is, let me tell you about what you've already brought into your midst. This is who this is. He's very, using very different language for them. And, 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 and as he's done this, he's been, he's been looking and listening to what's going on around him to figure this out, to figure out sometimes we need to say things in a different way so people can understand it. If I use words that I'm accustomed to, like he would have been in the synagogue, or sometimes we do in church, sometimes it's, it can be confusing. Now, now, some of you might be able to, to grasp this little paragraph I have here. I found this on the Internet in, in a search on, on Christianese. And, uh, and this is just a, an example of 
what sometimes we as Christians can sound like when we're talking about Christian things. But I would like you to know, sister, have you been washed in the blood, dunked in the river? Do you have your fire insurance? Have you been delivered? Have your shackles been loosed, your bondages removed? Have you experienced the fire? Can you walk through your dreams? Do you see your orbs? Have you drunk the new wine, done any rug time lately? Can you name it and claim it, confess it and profess it, blab it and grab it? Are you soaking in the word? Are you possessing the land or just longing for your new body? You know that chilly Jordan River is waiting for us all. Tell me, sister, can you see the chariot coming over the hill? Now dance and say amen while waving your hands. Well, those are words that, in some circles in Christian life, that's how people often talk. And it's words that, if you look, a lot of us can figure out what they're talking about in there. So I was sharing that last night afterwards. Uh, Henry Moon, who had been served in a church in Alabama, is like, oh my gosh, brought me right back there. All those words were just right there. Because sometimes we just talk in a way that we're familiar with, and, and the people we're talking with, they understand that. But if we were to use those kind of words and language with someone who's not been a part of church, they would be like, what is this? What's up with them? What, are they, what is this all about? This is just some weird stuff they're talking about. Drinking new wine and shackles loosened. I was never in prison. And, and Paul, in coming to the Athenians, figures a different way through this to talk about the most important thing about who God is and what he's about this is immensely instructive for us as we work through this. You know, uh, hearing where people come from, what's going on in their lives, understanding the things that they're going through, getting to know them and to care about them, that makes the connections into people's lives. A couple weeks ago, I, I mentioned the, the testimony of um, Nabil Qureshi. Uh, grew up Muslim and, and was steeped in it. His, his father was an imam and... and and just loved the Quran and loved Islam and, and loved, even as a young, young fella, of refuting Christianity wherever you could find it. His dad was working for a military and was in different bases, and they'd find themselves in different places. And, and he just loved to refute the faith of Christians and um, would find that most Christians were so ill-equipped to defend or talk about their faith. They were just easy. He just had a couple basic things that he would just zing them with and, and win the argument. And uh, he goes to university at, at Duke University and, and there meets a guy who he likes and is intelligent and is conversant on many things and, and notices him reading a Bible and wonders, okay, that's weird for someone who is intelligent. Um, and they begin pushing each other back and forth and and. And his, this new friend of his responded well and listened to who he was, but also came up with answers. And if he didn't know an answer, would come back and look it up. And they had conversations about it and, and, uh, and challenged him to, to look at Christianity, just look at it fully. Look at Scripture, what it says, and, and see if it is as inconsistent as you proclaim it is. And, and through the course of that, discovered not... And, and then he challenged them as well. Now, I want you to look at the Quran with the same kind of intensity and, and see if it is 
is without consistency and, and discovered that there was many inconsistencies that he had not worked through and eventually chose to believe in, in Jesus as Savior. Uh, there's this great prayer he had. God, show me who are you are. Are you Allah or are you Jesus? And, and, and came to a place where he came to faith. Well, this friend of his took time to get to know him and, and listen to him and listen to who he was and interact with him. And he had to not take offense at some of the questions that Nabil would have asked him. But listen to them and help him work through this. See, that's what, that's what us living this out and conversing with others about faith, that's what it comes down to. Us getting to know people and, and understanding them, their circumstances. Because in the end, keeping our eye on the goal, what's the main thing? We want people to know of God's existence and his love, his amazing, caring love, unfailing love that goes throughout the earth. This is the God that has created all of us. And if he exists and if Jesus has said, I am the way, the truth, no one comes to the Father except by me then that means something, that we can't have inclusive claims, that there's some exclusive things, and all religions are exclusive in some ways. We can't, you, know, you maybe have seen the, the, the bumper sticker that says coexist with all the different symbols. Well, each of, each of the tenets of these faiths are exclusive of others. That's just part of how it is, and that's what truth claims are. If something is true, then it's true, and if Jesus says that, He's the only way. Well, either he's right or he's wrong. There's no in-between. You've maybe heard uh, C.S. Lewis's description of this. In Mere Christianity, I, I don't know if you've gotten to this point yet in your discussion, but he, uh, he, he writes this. Um, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher. But I don't accept him, his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be, be either a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. What we do with Jesus matters. Who he is matters. And as we put our faith in him and walk with him, it matters that there's not other options if we believe what Jesus said. That God indeed loves this world and wants everyone to know him. But the only pathway of restoration comes through the sacrifice that Jesus made. Because that's the only thing that takes care of sin once and for all. And so that's the message that we share and we talk about. It's the message that matters. But how we do this with people, that also makes a difference. 
to get to know them and understand them, to see their settings. As Paul walked through different settings to figure out how can I help these people see who Jesus is, we do that in our own lives. And, and I think there's a couple implications for us in this. And, and, and first of all, for us to be prepared, for us to know our own faith well enough that we can describe to people, this is what this means, and, and this is how you become part of it. What is the basics of, of being a Christian? Can you tell someone that? Can you tell them about your faith and how you got to this place? But can you as well figure out what some of the objections people have had? Because you've talked with people with objections, but there's ways to work through this. Apologetics is what that's called, defending the faith. But but many times apologetics and, and those who are apologists for the faith, meaning they are defenders, sometimes they're so focused on winning arguments and not building relationships. And, and many have learned, okay, we, we, need to, we need to build the relationship. Truth is good, but as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I can speak as truthfully or as forcefully as possible, but if I have not love, I am a clanging gong. Nothing without that love and care for those people. So to find ways to interact people and, 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 and get in their lives and know and love them. Peter writes in his letter, his first letter, In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always pre- be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Us knowing our faith and how to share the basics of it. Whether it's, it's a, a tract, like how to know God personally, or the four spiritual laws that had come out in the 70s, or the bridge, or the Romans road. These are different ways of talking about the basics. But to be prepared to say, this is what it's all about. That get at the elements of of God's existence, our sin and separation from him, and, and, and the way back to him through Jesus. The basics are always there, but figuring out how people hear it, that's the other part of it. The FBI keeps a record of the most wanted criminals, and you can look on the website, you can go into post office sometimes and see them there, and it's comprised of people who they perceived are the most dangerous to society. And the point is to make clear and known who is of particular interest and to be able to enlist the necessary resources to, to catch them. Uh, back in your bulletin there, I've got uh, a most wanted list. And uh, just in spots there, because sometimes we just we walk through our faith and sharing our faith with maybe not thinking intentionally about it. And what I just challenge you to do is to use that or maybe make up a card on your own. Of who, who is it that you really want to talk about your faith with? And write those names down and use that as something to be praying for, lifting it up to God regularly and consistently. But then also thinking and looking for an opportunity to talk about the most important thing to you, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what it has done in your life, and, and how that offer is, is available to them. 
Uh, sometimes the events of life open up circumstances where people are, are needing help and looking for something bigger. They're realizing, I am not the king of my domain. There's something larger than me out there. And to be given opportunities. Sometimes living our lives before them with, with, with dignity and character and faith gives them opportunities to say, why do you live and believe the way you do? But we're looking for those opportunities to talk about the most important things. Not because we're looking for notches in our belts, yep, got that one done. But because we care about people. Because we love them and want this amazing, most best thing ever that we've received to be able to be experienced by others. And that's part of our ongoing call as followers of this Jesus to not only listen and have this message, but to share it. Like the kids were sharing the candy a little bit before. This is something to give away that all can have. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, we come before you this morning and Give us eyes to see those around us in this world and give us sensitivity to what's going on in their lives, opportunities to be able to, to get to know them and, and walk with them and, and, uh, and to build relationships, but also to talk about that thing which is, which is most important to us, you and your love for us. Spirit of God, guide us and direct us. Give us your wisdom and your discernment. And most of all, fill us with your love. A love for you and a love for others. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.